I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And, and we're, we're the, the Trade, Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS, where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. In this episode, Vice President Pence and former Vice President Joe Biden square off on trade on the campaign trail in Pennsylvania. We don't deserve a president who goes out of his way to make life in America harder, crueler, pettier. Well, Joe, Pennsylvanians will not be fooled. They know the USMCA is a win for Pennsylvania and a win for America. And we'll talk all things you smacka. What's going on there? Plus, what's going on with the U.S. and China at the WTO? What's going on with the U.S. and China moving talks forward on tariffs? All that and much, much more on this episode of The Trade Guys. Gentlemen, we're back in the saddle. And this week, uh, Vice President Mike Pence and former Vice President Joe Biden traded some uh, swats at each other over trade. Uh, what do you guys make of this? Is this is this uh, it was over you smacka and they smacked each other around a little bit. And is it going to seep into the 2020 presidential election? It looks like trade is seeping already into 2020's uh, presidential election. What do you guys make of this? Well, it, it was inevitable. You know, it was a signature issue for the president is trade. He's going to brag about his victories. He's going to complain and, and blame the Democrats for his uh, failures if uh, depending on how things play out. Uh, Pence has become the chief salesman for uh, USMCA. Um, and uh, it's inevitable if Trump's going to make it a big deal, the Democrats have to respond. Uh, and Biden is responding the way they've all responded so far, which, which is to say he's doing it wrong. They don't really have to say yet what they would do instead. They'll, what is what they're saying is you're not doing it right. You're you're hurting workers. You're hurting the economy. You're hurting farmers. End of and story. What he's not doing right is it has nothing to do with policy. It has to do with implementation, as we've talked before. It has to do with sort of talking tough. Actually, the there was uh, the quote from Biden is is that he's talking tough, but has nothing to show for it. Right. And, so so Biden said Donald Trump and he, and Biden wrote this to a local paper in uh, rural Pennsylvania. He said, Donald Trump has talked tough on trade, but has nothing to show for it other than pain for American families. So is that is that right? Well, that's what th- th- that's the criticism in a nutshell, whether it's right or not. I, I don't know if he has nothing to show for it. We do have a new agreement with with Japan, which appears to be ready to implement. We, he did renegotiate NAFTA, which was his chief campaign promise. USMCA is waiting for congressional action. Um, and uh, the, 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 the U.S.-China relationship has been fraught for a long time, full of problems and difficult to change. That's one where there's been there's been action and probably some harm to workers. And and businesses and families, uh, but but uh, the president's message has been the pain short term. We got to get this fixed. Yeah, but I think the short term Biden's right. You know, USMCA hasn't gone into effect. All we got out of China so far is pain. Uh, Korea is de minimis. Japan has not really gone into effect. Uh, there's nothing there. Uh, the farmers are hurting. Uh, some of these things that ostensibly are supposed to help workers. Uh, haven't really worked. Uh, the price of steel now is pretty much back uh, where it was when all this began, if not lower. And the the value of the steel companies is down from where they started. Yes. So it's it's an effective political attack for that very reason. But eventually he's going to have to, I mean, when there's only two, 
candidates at the end, eventually the Democratic candidate is going to say, here's what I would have I would do instead. He's going to have to have a policy. Right. And they don't have a policy yet. And, and, and for his part, uh, President Trump said this Tuesday, criticized House Speaker Nancy Pelosi for not bringing his administration's renegotiated trade deal with Mexico and Canada, also known as USMACA, to a vote in Congress. And Trump criticized her for taking way too long. Nervous Nancy's uh, taking too long. He's just changing the subject. You know, well, he is wants, he? He wants to not focus it's, it's on impeachment. It's taking a long time, though. Senator Grassley's a little nervous, too. That's and right. And so th- that's actually right. That's my, what was going to be my next point. Senator Grassley, Senate Finance Chairman Committee, Charles Grassley, Chuck Grassley of Iowa, says he's concerned for the first time about ratification of USMACA. Well, we had to- we've talked before and probably several times about doing it before the 2020 election gets going and probably doing it in calendar year 2019. And one of the reasons people are nervous is we're running out of legislative days. I looked at the calendar before coming down to the, the House Majority Leader's calendar. Today's the 23rd as we're recording, 23rd of October. There are 21 days left in 2019 where the House is in session. Just 21 days. Only 21. There are five more days, including tomorrow in October. Don't you always feel like we're always running out of time in Congress? Hold on. This is a phony issue. I spent 20 years up there, and the one thing I learned was if you want to do something, there's always time. If you don't want to do it, time is the excuse. I'm not saying there's not time. There's just aren't very many days left in 2019. that, That number is based on a December 12th adjournment date. It's not based on the Christmas adjournment date. Right. And if you adjourn on the 21st, which they have done, yes. uh, then you've got 10 more days. Um, they keep in mind, on a trade agreement, uh, there's nothing to do. You know, it's unamendable. It's unfilibusterable. It's up or down, right? It's up or down. Once it's introduced, the, it goes The fast. introduction, is, after the introduction, it's all anticlimax. It won't be submitted uh, I'm now, I think they're now, unless the president preempts everything and, and sends something up and, and derails the entire process. Otherwise, it won't be submitted uh, until the speaker is satisfied. And the speaker will be satisfied when she has the votes. So if the bill is submitted, you know she has the votes. You know it's going to pass. It doesn't make much difference if it passes in November or in December or even if January. Once it's submitted, there's a clock that starts ticking. It's a long clock. But you know there's an endpoint, mm-hmm. and you know there will be a vote. Uh, so I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not worried about it. I mean, this is the kind of bickering that goes on all the time between the parties. You're not moving fast enough. You're moving too fast. I mean, in the Brexit, it was the opposite. The parliament said to the prime minister, you know, you want us to do this in three days. We can't possibly do it in three days. It's always bickering. What I'm hearing about the substance is they've resolved most of the issues. Right. That there's one significant one left, which is the enforcement issue. And I think there's a path for that. So uh, then there has to be, uh, there's always, you know, details and fine yes. print. Well, exp- explain that. Explain the enforcement issue that they're stuck on. Well, it's, everything is close hold, so nobody really knows. I think what they're arguing about uh, is uh, is in labor enforcement, not general enforcement. And I think it's about inspections. You know, are American people going to be able to go down and inspect Mexican plants? And the Mexicans have said absolutely no. Uh, and I think that's what the discussion is and about. And in the past, the, the United States has never asked for it because these kinds of commitments tend to be reciprocal. And we don't want foreign inspectors in U.S. plants. 
Therefore, right. we don't demand U.S. inspectors in foreign plants. So it's, it's really it's an issue that's never been, been taken to a, a full hearing or full argument uh, in the past because of that reciprocity problem. Um, we'll see where it goes. And it's one of these things that there was a long fight over getting labor and environment provisions in trade agreements sort of equal standing when it comes to dispute settlement. And once we achieved that, then it became whether or not you could ever lose a dispute. And unfortunately, the labor movement uh, had had uh, gotten the Obama administration to to uh, to uh, enter into a dispute with, I think, Guatemala, if I remember, uh, part of the U.S. Central America Free Trade Agreement. And uh, lo and behold, the U.S. lost the case. Uh, and uh, so that is that's part of what, what that's what, been fixed because even yes. the negotiation. Uh, change the rules on that. Correct. So I, I don't think that will recur. And so, I mean, there's there are lots of different workouts uh, yes. for this particular problem. Maybe they just have should have Canadians come in and do the inspections. That, or CSIS could do it. You know, hey, <laughs> trade guys, trade yeah, guys, trade, to the, the trade rescue. guys could do it. Yeah. Um, there, there are. I don't think this is an impossible thing to do. It takes a little while to uh, to work out, and there's probably some posturing going on. It has to be drafted. I think they're aiming to get it done and submitted before they go away for Thanksgiving, uh, which would mean... That's the goal, right? I think that's the goal. I mean, it may not be achieved, but I think that's the goal, which would, I think, open the door to a vote in in December. Because once it's there, there's nothing to do. You have a hearing, the committee meets, all they can do is vote up and down. Right. And uh, it lays over a day and then goes to the And it's it's been a while since we did this. I think it was 2011 was the last time the Congress actually voted on trade agreement implementing bills. Uh, But then we had three agreements that passed the House within 72 hours and the Senate just as quickly. So it can go fast. It has gone fast in the most recent past. But since 2011, a lot of new members up there. What is Mexican President AMLO doing about this. He's sending letters to the Democrats and he's he's mixing it up for his part. Explain his role in this. I don't quite understand what his game is in all of this. I think well what he's trying to do is convince the uh the US Congress that Mexico is going to honor its commitments. It's going to do everything that it promised to do in the agreement and it's going to do everything that it's required right. to do in the legislation that he got passed in the spring, which is the you know labor reform. And uh, the questions that have been raised by the House Democrats have largely been about uh, uh, Mexico's intentions and its capacity. You know, uh, can or do, do they really want to do this? Because there's been many, many years when they've said similar things, haven't done them. But then beyond that, uh, even if they want to do them, are they capable? Do they have? And that's a bu- that's become a budget issue. Sure. So he he said that the Mexican legislature can budget the necessary amount for implementation. Well, that's like true. Of, that's true of all legislation. That'll be true of the Congress of, about appropriations bills here as well. Uh, now, the the thing to remember, and it's, it seems like ancient history now, but this agreement was negotiated and signed by Amlo's predecessor. All right, and so he's he wanted it that way. The in fact, the, the 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 end point of the negotiations was pretty much predicated by uh, his predecessor leaving office. The that timing it was literally the last day in the office. La- the last his last day in office, and so so uh, to but but at this point, the Mexican president needs to needs to assure uh, the U.S. Congress, in particular Democrats in the Congress, that the commitments made are going to be honored. Okay, so gentlemen, your predictions on USMACA, does it get done before the end of this legislative session? Does it carry into next year? 
What do you guys think? I still think it gets done this year. I think I think it gets done this year. It will not have as many votes as the speaker would like uh, from her party. The speaker would like 130 Democrats to vote for this, which is a little more than half of her 235 member caucus. I don't think she'll get that. I don't think that's even all that feasible. But it does have enough votes to pass because of really the strong Republican support. And actually, speaking of that, one of the interesting things that happened is that when this started out, there were Republican skeptics. Yes. You'll recall the Freedom Caucus had LBGDQ issues. There were other uh, people who didn't like various provisions coming from from the right. Uh, and that seems to all have disappeared. You know, in 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 a way, the the efforts of of the Republicans to make this partisan and to blame the Democrats for not moving, among other things, has united the Republicans in support of it. So I think you're going to see virtually yeah, Senator unanimous vote Republican no, but, support. But other than that, yeah, it'll well, be, Senator Toomey, yes, he, he will one vote no. Republican no vote, maybe uh, maybe more than one, yes. but it would be single digits. I think. But it, it, it's been a unifying vehicle for House Republicans. Once this gets done, what will the effect be for the American people? Will they feel it instantly or, or no? Well, I'm not sure they'll ever feel anything at all, because if you read the, the, the ITC economic analysis, the impact is going to be marginal at best. Now, it will be important for businesses that it's done. There'll be certainty, a great deal yes. of certainty and predictability about North American operations because of that. That's a good thing. There'll be some coverage in other areas that is also a good thing. Um, There's going to be a lot of of, uh, frustrated uh, compliance people in particularly the auto industry because there's a whole new set of rules of origin that appear, at least on the surface, to be very difficult to generate the data needed to comply with them. Uh, So those, those people are going to have pretty full employment for a couple of years. So what do Americans need to know about this? If, if, if they won't feel it, I mean, if it doesn't get done, they're going to feel it, right? You know, here's the best part of the current message is that Mexico and Canada are number one and number two trading partners. Yeah. I got them in the reverse order. It's Canada, Mexico. Yeah. But that's a great message for Americans to remember because I don't think most most Americans know we do trade with Canada and Mexico. They know our, they're, they're our neighbors. They don't think of them as big contributors to our economy, which they are. Uh, they, they now account for about half of American exports. Bill, so I mean, w- what do Americans take away from all this back and forth between Democrats and Republicans and, and, and the rhetoric and the, and the noise and the, and the you smack it going back and forth? I don't think that they pay much attention to the rhetoric. They're, they're tired of it. They're tired of partisan rhetoric and, on everything, and this is just, just more noise. I, I think what it will mean for them is it reaffirms that uh, we have an integrated North American market. And that's a good thing that there Mm -hmm. were some people that probably wanted to uh, either slow that down or unravel it. But that's not that's not going to happen. And, you know, clearly, I think for the for the American people that had a stake in this, the worst possible outcome that you could have here would be to end up with nothing. That old NAFTA, we would drop out of old NAFTA. The new one wouldn't pass. And we go back to, you know, pre-1994. And, uh, I mean, Scott was said something about this this morning when we talked to a, a group of uh, actually federal employees uh, that um, 
you know, it, I think people have gotten used to it. It, it, it was con- NAFTA was controversial when it began. You remember Ross Perot, the whole the giant sucking sound thing. But 25 years later, I think people see it as an important uh, part of our economy. It's an important part of the way we do business. And I think they're going to be encouraged that we can get this done and that most of it really is an upgrade. There's not a lot. The auto rules are a little strange. But there's mm-hmm. not a lot in it that are, uh, really take steps back. Well, I think we've exhausted this you smack a subject for the day. So let's turn to China. Another. We going from the hard to the easy yeah, now? Another, the, I was going to say another. The gift that keeps on giving. For yeah, the yeah, another yeah, happy topic. Right. Um, China. China offers tariff-free quotas for 10 million tons of U.S. soybean purchases. Um, what's that all about? Well, I'm her. That happened this week. The gossip today was that it really doesn't mean much at all because the Chinese aren't buying because they think our prices are too high. Uh, I think well, the, that's a temporary two, phenomenon. Yeah, the reduction of the tariff basically makes the landed cost to the to the millers in China uh, less lower because it improved the terms of trade. But but the quantity of the purchase they were buying lar- large quantities of soybeans before, and I think most of what we'll find out when we really delve into the details of the Phase One agreement or, or any agreement on agricultural products is China winds up buying what they were going to buy anyway. Exactly. Shameless plug here. My column this week addresses this issue. That is not shameless. Read it at CSIS.org. It'll be on the homepage. You can find it. William Reich is the author. And it's it's brilliant as always. But what it concluded was exactly what Scott said. That I mean, until we have more details, and we may not for a while, because the Chinese have been careful not to confirm what the president has said. They haven't denied it either, but there's a lot of mystery about this. They've agreed to buy more stuff, but how much and over what time period uh, is, uh, is a big unknown. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. Trump said 40 to 50 billion more dollars of agricultural products. If that's one year, that's huge. That would be double the record year. Uh, and that would mean that he really did get a good that deal. Would, that would be huge. If it's over two years, it's pretty much what they were doing before all this began. If it's over five years, it's, it's over a reduction. five years, it's a reduction. <laughs> all right. So, but either way, it's a beautiful, perfect deal. Yes. Well, of course. Well, yes. Yes. But I think where where we're going to end up on this is pretty much uh, where we started before all the fuss. Mm-hmm. They're going to start buying things probably at pretty much the same level. They've got to be smiling about this. I mean. They don't, they don't smile very often publicly, but they've got to be happy about this. But Bill's right. Think about this. What China wants is to not do anything. What they want is not to address the concerns raised in the 301 investigation. They don't want to do the things we're asking them to do. So how do they, how do they manage? So if that's your goal, how do you manage the situation? Well, you, you make it look like you're playing nice. You continue to talk. Then we'll have meetings scheduled you know, in in perpetuity. Yeah, and President Trump said that trade talks are on target for a November deal. So that's you know. Well, that and and the what ball. what what's a deal with this in this particular circumstance? Could Don't be know. another small package. No, no. Could be a friendly get together. They are masters of recycling commitments, and I think when this stuff comes out, I think you'll see that what they promised on IP was probably not all that different from what they promised Obama twice. Uh, what they're giving us in financial services is probably not all that different from what they promised Obama once. Uh, I think it suits, you know, the, where the column ended up was in an odd way, although it, I think it accomplishes very little. Both sides, I think, see themselves as winners. Yes. For, for the Chinese see themselves as winners for exactly the reason Scott said. They didn't give up anything that mattered. We didn't change. And, you know, and the can was kicked. And Trump gets to declare victory. And he, said, he said they have started the buying, but he also said, I want more. 
So he, he got to say they've already he's already won, but he, he gets to continue to talk tough. Well, and this, I think, validates what we were saying a couple of weeks ago, which is, you know, his problem is how does he get from now until next October when he declares the big victory before the election and hope that people believe him? And we got an answer last week or two weeks ago, which is we're going to have phases. And so we just had phase one. And I think what you're going to see is phase two in the spring. And which and will tee us up for phase three next maybe September. Maybe phase 1.5 when they meet in Chile. So you never know. Yes. This is the way he keeps the balls in the air. And the Chinese have other things that they can concede that are not really material. So, I mean, I can see phase two doing a little bit more on intellectual property. I think they, I can think I can see them making some broader concessions on removing equity caps and removing uh, joint venture requirements because they're doing that anyway. Uh, and that would actually matter. That's good for them. And, yeah, to do it's it, good for it? them, but it's also it's, good, for it's good for us because yes. it would it would help us resist forced technology transfer. If they agreed to do that, Trump could legitimately say this is important. I mean, he'll say it regardless, but he'll in this, in this case he'd be right that that it's important and and significant. So I think what we're going to see is maybe it'll be 1.5, you know, 2.0, 2.5. We're going to see a series of these things leading up to the giant reveal in October, which won't really be a reveal. So, It'll be so you guys are victory. not expecting a breakthrough agreement when Trump and she meet next month. You're expecting no, more I, of the same. That's pretty much, yeah, you're right. They'll probably talk past each other like they did in Osaka. And a good outcome would be that they don't misunderstand each other, like I think happened in Osaka, and each leave the room thinking the other promised to do something that he has no intention of doing. Hopefully, I, I think the best thing that could happen is they'll they'll sign something that embodies phase one yes. and say, now on to phase two. Yeah, and let, let Ambassador Lighthizer and his counterpart do the pre-work, make sure they sign the right thing and have the same statement coming out, and we'll probably do, do little harm in the uh, meetings in Peru. All right. Finally, China and the WTO. China is said to be about to use legitimate WTO retaliatory tariffs as bargaining chips in the U.S. trade war negotiations. What what do you guys make of this? Well, the uh, teeth of the WTO's dispute settlement uh, understanding when it it comes to using Suspension, what's what they call suspension of concessions, or using tra- retaliation to settle a trade dispute, it really is authorized by the appellate body. Uh, sometime in December, the appellate body will lose its last quorum. The United States has been uh, for some time now blocking appointments to the appellate body. Uh, they're down to three, which is what it takes to to form a panel. And uh, one of the terms expires, I believe, December twelfth. Tenth. Tenth. I'm sorry. Two of the terms expire. On the so at that point, at that point, there will be no way to convene an appellate body, and therefore no way to get to, as the rules would require, a judgment, a decision from the appellate body that would lead to suspension of concessions. So it's a long bureaucratic speak way of saying that they may do something based on a panel dispute. They may do something unilaterally like we've been doing, but probably not under WTO authority. Well, on, on this one, I mean, they're, they're kind of – I'm not quite sure why – well, this is just, you know, it's a little bit like the Airbus case. It, it, it's semi-coincidental. I mean, genesis of this case was – $2.4 billion from the Obama era. They brought one against uh, – we assessed countervailing duties against them on a variety yes. of stuff, alleging subsidies. They brought a complaint – as I recall, we won in the end of the game. It's been through the appellate body. Uh, we won in part. They won in part. And the part they won uh, allows it forces us to either comply and change our procedures, or they can retaliate. 
and uh, their assessment is retaliation in 2.5 billion. I think what the United States will probably do is say that needs. To, we think it's not that much. We think it's a much. It's like Airbus. We think it's a smaller number. That's what the Europeans said. So then there will be an arbiter who will decide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at that point, uh, that's pretty much it. You know, if he'll pick a number, uh, and uh, we'll have to pay. But it's going to take a while to work its way through that. I don't know. I don't view it as as a you know a really significant tactical move in the great scheme of things. Well, it's it just an it's order of magnitude. It's relatively small given the size of the trading relationship, and uh, it's one of these things that is 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 more bookkeeping and and putting a few points on the board than it is hurting well, each other's yes. economy. And that's not a grand strategy. And, no. But that's important because the point they want to put on the board, what this helps them with, is we, China, are the good guys. We are the people that are reinforcing the system. We are the people that are obeying the rules. Yeah. Here's a case where the United States is not obeying the rules. Now let's see if they pay up or not. Right, and we're going out the rules yeah. again. Yeah. And it's, you know, they're speaking, this is directed at the rest of the world. Yes. Not to us. All right, gentlemen. Well, this is all stuff that we're going to watch until next week when we get back to USMACA and other things. We will adjourn. All right. Looking forward to next week. To our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the trade guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to the Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, trade guys. Thanks, Andrew. You've been listening to the Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.